Hello, um, thank you for listening to my story. It's been a little while since my last um, episode, and um, I, I guess I want to apologize for that. Uh, the part of the story where I'm at right now has been a lot more difficult for me than I thought it would be, so I had to really think about how I was going to go about this. But I do want to thank everybody for listening and um, share a couple things before I get started. So, um, I didn't really think that this was going to go as far as it already has, and I'm not even finished yet. I've, um, I have people commenting to me on how their reactions to my story, but, um, when I look at the uh, analytic information on what's happened with my podcast, <clears throat> it never occurred to me that people across the world would be listening to these stories, um, or my story. And I was thinking about how fortunate I am, even though I went through this terrible, well, two terrible things, or one continuous terrible thing in my life and somehow managed to come out of it, um, in a victorious way, uh, when I think about some of the other places in the world where people don't have, um, the kind of support and protections that I have here in the United States. So I just wanted to acknowledge that, that this is a world problem and, um, some of us, even though this is not you know, even though this is a terrible thing that happens all over the place, some of us are are more fortunate than others in a terrible situation. So, again, thank you so much for my support. If you listen to this on Anchor, you have the opportunity to support the podcast, which helps me. And also, you can leave me a recorded message and um, let me know your thoughts or questions and I will do the best that I can to get back with you or answer your questions. Also, before I begin, I do want to let people know that there may be trigger warnings in this. Um, you know, just to put that out there, it's not, I've, I've heard um, through some of the conversations that I've had about this that not everybody can listen to it. It's a difficult subject to talk about, and it's a difficult subject to listen to for people so there is the trigger warning and finally um, if you or somebody that you know may be being abused uh, at least in the United States I can give you the National Domestic Violence Hotline and that number is 800-799-7233 and they should be able to help you um, with the situations that you know about or that you're going through. So I want to get started and I want to talk about why I stayed. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine a few weeks ago and she said, aren't you glad you left? She didn't know me before all of this and when I was going through it and I said, well, I didn't leave. He left me. And she was a little surprised, and, and I told her, I said, I wouldn't have left. And and that's the truth. I'd probably still be with him today if he hadn't have left me. And um, 
you know, people don't understand that. Why would you stay? And so that's what I want to try to explain in my situation why I stayed. And um, I also want to talk about some of the things that happened afterwards because I just find it, now I find it interesting, but it's also bizarre in my opinion. But anyway, I did stay. So my abuser, my abusive spouse, was my second husband. My first husband wasn't abusive, but he had his own problems and we divorced. We were very young. And, um, you know, he was gone. <clears throat> and I met this man, the second man, and um, we ended up getting married. And keeping in mind to, to probably the most significant things. So prior to marrying him, I had already been programmed by my mom that it was okay to abuse me. Um, and this, not that I outwardly believed it, not in my conscious mind that I believed it, but in my subconscious mind, there was something inside of me that would accept this treatment from other people and then there's another significant thing that happened between these two relationships and most of the time I don't want to name names in this um, podcast because I feel other people have their stories but I am going to name names in this specific instance and the reason why is because this happened in a church. It happened in Covenant Life Church, which at the time was in Magruder High School in Gaithersburg, Maryland, which incidentally happens to be the area where my second husband lived. Not that that's a big deal because a lot of people I know went to that school. And the person who said this, not specifically to me, but actually to the congregation, his name is C.J. Mahaney. He was the minister there and one of the founders of that church, which um, was a huge church. It stemmed off of a, another church with another um, um, pastor. And they were actually, at the time that I was there, uh, sending people out into various parts of the country trying to um, plant other churches in different places. And my reason for mentioning these names is when I tell you what he said was because he didn't say it specifically to me. He said it to the hundreds of people sitting there. And I feel that the way that it was said, looking back now, was very irresponsible. Um, not taking into account the different situations that people go through in their marriage and that you may be dealing with pr people who have private um, nightmares. I'll just say it like that. But he had said that if you're divorced, which I was, and you remarry, you're committing adultery. And remember I told you that my faith got me through, but my faith was also probably one of the most damaging things that happened in my life at the time so here we are I'm 
probably like 22 maybe. I was probably 21 or 22 years old. And divorced. And you're going to tell me that I can never get married again. Okay. And if I do, I'm going to be an adulterer. Or an adulteress. And I... And that's where it was left. There was no um, way to redemption. There was no, um, nothing said at all about what happens if you're in a relationship that is dangerous. You know, it was that this is your cross to bear. And that was that. So... I've, you know, that's the only reason why I named him is I feel like he has a responsibility not just towards the church in, in general, but to the individuals in the church. And that's why I named him. I felt that it was irresponsible. And because of what was said during that sermon, it put me in a very, very vulnerable position. Not only, not only, you know, my physical welfare, but my mental and my spiritual welfare, which to me is a big deal so anyway I met this man and we got married and we started having children and um there were things that he did to me during this marriage and I, I really most of it I tried to keep away from my children but I later found out that they had seen things I didn't know they saw so um as I said he um he left me and we had, we, well, okay, so we moved in with his parents, and we were trying to save money for a down payment to buy a house, and while we were there, he, um, had an affair. Now, I remember through this whole time, you know, I have this message running through my head that if I leave him, I'm going to be an adulteress, right? So, uh, it was very hurtful to me, but I decided to try to work my way through it. He, he eventually did end the affair and we eventually did buy the house and I was resentful for a long time and he knew it, you know, but, um, I did work on trying to forgive him and, um, <laughs> even though he's telling me that he deserves better and a bunch of other crap that that's actually the hard part is what happened during that time period um that I'm, I guess I'm gonna have to do another podcast on that because I you know to go back to it but I you know he had the affair I tried to forgive him and we bought our house and we moved and um he ended the affair there was still some abuse going on of course and um I was looking for a church in the new town that we lived in, and I went to um, one church for a while. You know, we were doing very, very well and um, there, but he didn't go. So I had a lady who came in to the salon where I worked, and she became one of my customers, and, and she would tell me about her church. And um, she was also a daycare provider, and I had lost my daycare provider at the time, so I started using her. And she was telling me about the church, and, um, you know, uh, I w we were interested, and 
so my my husband my second husband um became receptive he never wanted to go to church before but um he started going to that church with us as a family and with this woman and her husband we also started doing things together with them so the area where we were living at the time was frederick maryland we were outside you know in near the mountains and we would go hiking on the mountains and they would have us over when they had a pool table we'd play pool as couples you know um and um they had a little girl that was close to the same age actually she was the same age as one of my daughters but you know the three girls were about the same age so they had a friend and then um i had my beauty salon that we were you know trying to build this business up and um there was one day nothing in particular happened at our house it was just kind of a quiet day we went to bed and the next morning, it was a Sunday morning, I believe, it, we were at the salon. We were supposed to have an event. We had a um, vendor coming in. They were going to do an in-salon class. And um, I woke up, and it was kind of a big deal, you know. So I was awake, and we were get, I was getting ready. I was bustling around trying to get ready to go to this event. It didn't even occur to me that my husband wasn't with me. <laughs> I look around and I was getting ready to leave and I'm like where where's your father and the kids are like we don't know we don't know and um he wasn't in the house I was looking outside I was looking in the basement he was nowhere to be found and um I found this little note in my purse that basically said the other woman had a fight with her husband uh I went to meet her so it was kind of vague even it wasn't even very specific but that was the night that he left me, and I didn't hear him, you know, and usually I sleep very lightly, but he managed to get out of the house without me hearing him, and um, later on he told me he even had to come back to get something, um, you know, I mean, he had to pack his clothes and all these different things, so um, for whatever reason, I didn't wake up, so that was the the beginning of that, and I there's a part of it that's a blur like I don't I remember being in the salon and having this I don't remember who was watching my kids because they were too little to go and I know they weren't there I guess somebody real quick came over to stay with them and then um afterwards I called her husband and he's like well we had a fight and she left me so that's when I totally knew that was the end of it like nothing happened to him he just totally went he left he left me for another woman um <laughs> So, that in itself was was devastating. He left me with three children and a mortgage payment. And, um, you know, a total feeling of self-worthlessness. Um, and now here I am, what am I going to do? <clears throat> now... What I find so interesting about all of this is, you know, eventually they had to make themselves known and where they were and what they were doing and, you know, and so on and so forth because, because of the kids. And um, so they, they got themselves established. They got an apartment or whatever and started their visitation. But the part that confounds me to this part 
in, in some ways, based on the, what he said to me, that, you know, he, he deserved better, a better woman, and that he didn't love me, and all these different things, was, I just don't understand why he didn't just go and do his life, you know, but he didn't, he, um, he would relentlessly harass me, you know, at first, he was just walking in the house as if he still lived there, you know, so I had to change the locks, and I had to set the ground rules that, you know, you decided to leave, you can't come in whenever you feel like it. And he would um, do these conversations like he was because the next step, I guess, for him was to prove that I was a terrible mother, you know, and um, there was some guilt. Uh, you know, we lived in a small community, so especially for her, she left her children and, you know, as a woman and um, things started coming out about her behavior and how she, you know, wasn't exactly a faithful wife so and she also basically abandoned her children although she probably doesn't look at it that way but you know she's there was that blame put on her and I'm just gonna say it that way because I'm sure she has her story but yeah she was basically accused of not being a good mother and I don't I don't you know because she left her children and you know trying to be fair and not really being concerned so much with her story because she's just a character in my story you know I don't want to go into that too much but I, I understand that pressure um and so to compensate I think a lot of that was behind the pressure that was put on me by him to prove my inadequacy as a mother <clears throat> And, um, he had a, a, I don't know, it was kind of a lame way of going about it. So he would start with something like, I'm just a concerned parent. I'm concerned about the kids. That's the way he would start these conversations. And he would say something, I would answer his question. And then he would, he was trying to elaborate on his concern, but it always turned to something that was irrelevant to the kids, you know? And, um, had nothing to do with the children. And it was relentless, relentless, relentless. It went on like this. And there was, there was calls coming in and she would call me like, I, you know, just both of them, how negligent I was about my children. I didn't dress them properly. I wasn't feeding them properly. I wasn't doing all these different things. And, um, I managed to put a stop to that specific behavior by, um, you know, this is before cell phones, so we didn't have cell phones then. I had a, you know, a, a wall phone with an answering machine, and I finally, I called the, the police because he wouldn't leave me alone, and it wasn't just that, but the phone was the one thing that I could use to get him to knock it off, um, and what they told me was I could go after him for phone harassment. And, um, so that's what I did. I started logging phone calls and I would say, you know, I had to be careful and say, you know, I wouldn't hang up on him or anything like that. I'd just say, I'm going to hang up now and hang up. And, you know, I guess that perpetuated some of the repeated calls, but there was this one time I came home and it was on the answering machine. And interestingly, it was her saying all these things about what kind of a mother I was 
how ironic is that? Um, but you could hear him in the background. And that was the physical evidence that I had um, to, to bring these charges against him. Which, by the way, it's a misdemeanor. But, you know, it was one thing that I could use to get him to back off. Um, but he did other things, you know, that he would ride around my business and I had, my shop was in the middle of town and we both worked in town and he would get off work and he would just circle around the, the shop and like glaring at me, you know, and, um, there were people who would like, they, they didn't get that this was meant to intimidate me. They didn't get that, that, you know, and they would say weird things like, well, to them, I guess it wasn't weird, you know, but not knowing all this, the whole story. And they would say, oh, he still loves you. No, he doesn't love me. He's losing control over me. It's what was happening. And it was infuriating. Like he wanted to still have that control. And so, you know, it, I don't know if I, I could just tell you it was relentless. If it wasn't phone calls and, um, you know, coming by the my place of work which you know if I'd have worked for somebody else you know he could have gotten me in trouble um just like coming in and saying things and refusing to get a newspaper for current events you know um cutting up clothes that I just bought the kids like there was a pair of both of my girls I bought them a pair of pants each a pair of pants, and of course my clothes that I bought for them weren't good enough for them, they ended up buying them their whole wardrobe over there, and you know, they would, it was just crazy, like the clothes that I, I bought for them just weren't good enough, whatever, um, but yeah, I bought them this pair of pants, and the girls went over there, and they came home wearing the same clothes they always wore when I sent them over, which they always did, um, but they were cut off, you know, they cut the pants off and, um, hemmed with, you know, just plain old white thread. Of course they had colored pants that looked terrible and it was money that I had spent. Well, the excuse was we didn't have enough money to buy matching thread. Well, like I have enough money to go around and keep replacing the clothes that you're damaging. You know, it's just constant things like that. And, um, There was a, it took me a long time to, well, actually, I guess considering the timeline, it wasn't that bad, but it felt like a long time for me the um, to get up the inner strength to fight back in a way that was safe and a way that was effective. So using the court system with the phone harassment actually was very effective, um, but I guess to give you uh, an idea of how battered I was in my brain, um, I was trying to build a shed. It was a kit. It was one of those sheds you buy, and all the pieces are there, and you put it together. But the direction said it was a two-person job. So I called my sister to help me put the shed together. And, um, she was the one who gave me the wake up call. She really was. I have to credit her with that. Um, we were in the backyard trying to do it. The kids were doing their thing or whatever. And she's looking at the directions and she's kind of organizing all the pieces. And there were hundreds of pieces with this thing. And I'm just kind of sitting there dumbfounded, I, you know, not really 
organizing and not really talking to her the way I normally would. And she, she looked at me and she said, where is my sister? Where is the person who could do anything? I, you know, and then she went about her business and I kind of snapped out of it, sort of. I was still in a little bit of a daze, but I was processing what she said. It was a very simple thing, but she said, where's my sister? This is the person who could do anything. And, um, I thought about it, you know, how helpless I felt and how kind of dead I felt in my soul. I felt rotten. Um, and she was right. Like I had to get myself back. And so, um, I was, I, I ended up going to, um, Hartley house in Frederick, Maryland. It's a, it's a battered women's shelter and they had, and I didn't go there to live. They had programs and counseling services and things like that. And they had a group and I was there and I was participating in the group, which was good. You know, there was a lot of good things that came out of that. And I met a woman who, um, we became friends and, um, she I would have to, I should probably call her, but, um, she would, um, come to my house. Like things were happening. I lost my house. Oh, okay. You want to talk about something else? This is one of the things he would do. Like I had, um, um, somebody who wanted to assume the loan on the, on the mortgage. And in order to do that, both of us had to sign off because both of us were on the mortgage. Right. So, um, he said, I just feel in my heart that it's not the right thing to do. So you're not going to sign off the mortgage and let somebody else assume the loan so that it doesn't destroy our credit. Okay. A few months later, I send the mortgage payment in. They send it back to me, the mortgage company. And they said, you can't pay your mortgage payment if you're filing bankruptcy. <laughs> so I called them and I'm like, I'm not filing bankruptcy. So they, they told me about he was filing bankruptcy. He included the house on it. Didn't bother to tell me. Didn't think about the fact that his children were living there. None of that, you know. So I had to pay additional money to get that part of it taken out of the bankruptcy. And then eventually um, lost the house anyway. Um, but this, this girl that I met through this um, domestic abuse survivors group um, helped me. Um, you know, help me find a new place and help me get things set up and, and all these different things. And, and it was so good to have somebody who understood what I was going through, knew the dynamics of, of people. And she was perfect for me at the time because she would go with me and do things and we would talk about our partners that abused us, but also, also other things. So, um, this was around the time of Y2K coming around and, you know, we didn't know as a society what was going to happen. And so her and I, and, the, um, she ended up joining my church as well. Um, we would, you know, we were canning things and we would, I don't know, it was just a lot of stuff that we did. We would go hiking up on those mountain and just lots and lots of stuff, you know, she helped me decorate she was awesome and um she was a big help at the time I 
should probably reach out to her and find out how she's doing. I haven't talked to her in a while. But the reason why I mentioned this is that um, if you can find a shelter near your house, you don't necessarily have to go live in that shelter. Um, give them a call and find out if they have other types of services. They, you know, I, I was doing individual counseling through them and this group. And um, this is where I learned things about the dynamics of abuse, like about the cycle of abuse, how, um, how things build up the tension and then the abuse and then the honeymoon period afterwards. This is how I learned about being, creating safe places for yourself, not just for me, but for my friend. I mean, for my children. Well, my friend too, I guess if it was necessary, but my, my children looking for uh, red flags before it gets to the point where things are abusive and um, realizing that my even though I knew I was abused my perception of what is abuse and what is not abuse was very skewed that there were actually things going on that I didn't consider to be abusive until hindsight like the name calling and the berating and just the degradation that I went through on a regular basis. It never occurred to me that this was all part of the cycle. Um, so, yeah, I stayed and again, I feel lucky that I'm glad he left me. At the time, it was horrible, but thinking about it now and looking back to my state of mind and some of the things that were done to me it's probably best that things went the way they were I don't know one of us would probably not be in a very good place right now if we just stayed together I don't know who but um, yeah we got lucky both of us really in that regard that he left me for another woman. So I have one final thought on this before I close and that they always say she must you know well not always, but people's like, why do you stay? Why do you stay? Why do you stay? Why do why do you stay? You must like it. Um, but my experience has been much more complicated to that than that and I didn't feel like at the time I didn't feel like he would try to kill me if I left which I know that that's very real for some people um I don't think he had a definite plan to kill me although I I, I think it could have happened if we stayed together or I could have oh my god I can't believe I'm saying these things I could have killed him, um, but there's so many things that go into why somebody stays. I mean, I knew I couldn't go to live with my mother because she was abusive, and I certainly didn't want her abusing my children, which, you know, she has a lot of issues with boundaries, so she would have felt like it was her privilege and right to 
quote, discipline my children. Um, and I just didn't want to subject them to that. Um, and, I, you know, I had a financial a financial obligation with a mortgage and car payments, etc. I had children to think about and did I want to upheave their life? Those are the practical solutions. And then I had my, my spiritual thing, which some people may think that's BS, but that we're talking eternity, <laughs> you know, we're talking eternity. If that's what you believe, then I'm, you know, where do I stand to the end of time? Um, that was weighing on my mind. And I, I do want to say that, you know, since then being with, um, people, I don't necessarily believe that anymore. And I, I do want to talk about, um, in another podcast, getting my head straight on my, and how I handled that and what I did to, um, have clearer thoughts and healthier thoughts about myself and about relationships and what I would allow in my life. But anyway, this, this one was difficult for me and, um, I appreciate you listening this long and again, please stay safe and I'll you another story sometime about how I got healthy. Bye-bye.